Well, we're all looking forward to the program tonight. It's going to be wonderful to have our children minister to us. And uh, we invite you all back tonight at 6.30. December 1904. 109 years ago. Japan was beating up on Russia in the Russo-Japanese War. The World's Fair had just concluded by, in St. Louis after the President of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt, made a speech. The Wright brothers performed uh, their act of a flight a year earlier, had received little coverage in the media, so people were still wondering if air travel would ever get off the ground. Okay, now that, in my notes here it says that that's a joke, okay? And you're supposed, so that's as good as it's going to get today, so let's try that again. So people were still wondering if air travel would ever get off the ground. Oh, yeah, I knew this would work. I knew it would work. Then all of a sudden, a flying boy appears. His name is Peter Pan. In December 1904, this classic character pops up on a London stage in a play entitled Peter Pan or The Boy Who Would Not Grow Up. Now, the play originally was written as a play. It wasn't turned into a novel until 1911, and later an animated film by you-know-who, Walt Disney in 1953. And since then, there's been various plays and uh, operas and movies performed with the name Peter Pan. So the story goes like this, and most of you are familiar with the story, but let me refresh your memory. Peter invites a girl named Wendy to travel via fairy dust, of course, to Neverland, to be a mother to his gang of lost boys. Many adventures unfold, including with Peter's arch enemy, Captain Hook. Okay, you are paying attention, uh, at least three of you over here. Uh, and, uh, but in the end, Wendy decides that the best place for her um, is back home with her family. Looking in on Wendy after her return, Peter knows that he will never experience the happiness of growing up in a loving family, a mother, a father, a brother, and a sister. And so this is a quote from the book. It is the one joy from which he must be forever barred, end quote. And then years later, Peter returns to see Wendy again only this time he discovers that, well, <laughs> she's grown up. In fact, she's a mature woman with a grown daughter of her own. Peter is frightened by the sight of her and utters a cry to which Wendy responds, Peter, I'm old. I'm ever such, so much more than 20. I grew up a long time ago. Peter responds, but you promised not to grow up. I know, she said, but I couldn't help it. There's this phenomenon in our world today that's somewhat similar to Peter Pan. It's kind of a refusal to grow up. And for Peter, it was, he just couldn't understand why he couldn't remain a boy all of his life. After Wendy tells him that, uh, he sits down on the floor and he begins to sob and he just can't accept the fact that Wendy grew up and, well, he was dest destined to be forever the boy who wouldn't grow up. It's interesting that 
Barry's original play was to be released at Christmas time in 1904. On inspection, it doesn't seem like much of a Christmas story. But what better time of the year to consider the boy who did grow up, Jesus Christ. And he gave us something to believe in besides Santa and fairies so that we can chant along with the lost boys, I believe, I do, I do. Now, I, I think all of us, we love the Christ story, the Christmas story, because it's about a beautiful little baby. And tonight we're going to celebrate uh, the little ones that came in, the three and four-year-olds, then the, the five-year-olds. The, you'll, tonight you'll see them all the way up to, to high school. But um, it's wonderful because Christmas is kind of a, a kid holiday. And we love Christmas and we love the story and we love all of the crash and we love all of the symbolism. We have, as you've heard from me before, this enormous crash in our house. I started giving Sherry precious moments crash figures for our uh, figurines in 1983. And I've been giving her one every year since. So we've got like six cows and, you know, 42 sheep and seven magi. So we've got everything. We've only got, we got one baby Jesus, so that's good. But everything else we've got. More. So the other day, uh, yesterday, Sherry was uh, watching Rhett and Trey for a while in the morning. And Rhett, was it Rhett? was very interested in the crash, and so Sherry was pointing out all the different figures, and Rhett knew most of them. We, we love that. We, we love that Christmas story. We, we love the childhood wonder that we feel and we experience when we get to it. But, but the sad part is that as much as we enjoy that, all of us are destined, both physically and spiritually, to grow up. We're supposed to grow up. We're supposed to become adults. We're supposed to grow in our faith. We're supposed to mature. So let's read now the story of Jesus. Now the Christmas story, which you're all very familiar with, uh, goes from verse 1 of Luke chapter 2 all the way to verse 38. And then it stops, and there's kind of a break, and then it gives the rest of the story. And this is uh, like Paul Harvey used to say, uh, God rest his soul. Um, This is the rest of the story. So after the Christmas story was done, Uh, Mary and Joseph took Jesus, as you remember, to Nazareth to escape Herod. And then uh, after they were in, excuse me, uh, to Egypt. And then after Egypt, they went back to Nazareth. And there he was raised as a boy. So that's where we pick up the story in verse 40 of Luke chapter 2. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was upon him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Now imagine that, you know, thinking he was in their company for a day, they traveled before they realized he was gone. After three days... Or excuse me. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. 
This is how Jesus replied. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. I wish the kids were in here to hear that part, right? They were obedient to them. But this, his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, just as I have read this text, some of you are thinking, you know what? I've really never kind of paid attention to that gap between Bethlehem and the baby and when Jesus is 30 years old and begins his ministry. Somehow we forget that Jesus actually grew up, that he had a childhood and he was a teenager. (laughs) Can you believe that? He was a young adult and then a mature man. We tend to forget that Jesus actually grew up. There's something magical about Peter Pan and the baby Jesus. I mean, it appeals, appears to, uh, appeals to children of all ages. I mean, a life of adventure and fun without a single adult responsibility. I mean, Jesus was born into a very loving and nurturing family. Can you imagine being a, a born Jesus? You know, the first thing you hear are angels singing your praises. That's pretty cool, right? And then shepherds come, and they bow down to you, and, and, and they worship you. And then a lot of stuff goes on. Then a couple of years later, these princes from way, you know, from a thousand miles away, from Persia and other places, these princes, these kings, come with extravagant and expensive gifts. Man, if I had been Jesus, I wouldn't have wanted to grow up. I mean, this is awesome. I mean, we have all these gifts. Everybody's praising our name. Everybody's singing songs about us. They're making up Christmas carols. You know, it's just amazing. But Jesus realized, even as he was a child, that God, that he was born for a purpose. He was born for a reason. And part of that reason was to grow up. You just can't be a child forever. So Jesus began to grow up. They went back after they were in Egypt. They went back to Nazareth. Now imagine how difficult it was then. The first couple of years of his life was awesome, but then it got kind of hard. So they go back to Nazareth, uh, to, to Nazareth, Nazareth, and, and they're, they're there, and people are whispering and talking. They said, there's Mary and Joseph. When they left a couple of years ago, Mary was pregnant. They weren't even married. I mean, they were betrothed, but they weren't married, and that was a heinous crime. That was a really bad sin in those days. And they, and they weren't even married. And now, look, they come back, and they've got this baby, and they're acting like a family, and, you know, it's just not right. And so there's a lot of pressure, and there's a lot of whispering, and a lot of talking. And, and Jesus' life wasn't that hard. It wasn't that easy when he was a toddler and a, an older child and a teenager. But he decided that in spite of everything else, he was going to love his parents, be obedient to them. And he was going to grow up. I mean, who wants to be like Wendy at the end of the Peter Pan story when she sits, quote, huddled by the fire, not daring to move, helpless and guilty, end quote. It's a bittersweet moment when she says, oh, Peter, don't waste fairy dust on me. I mean, ouch. (laughs) We all want fairy dust on us. She says, don't waste fairy dust on me. No wonder There doesn't seem to be much magic in maturity. I mean, many of us in here, and we see our kids running around in our teenagers, and and those kids are obviously growing up, and they're growing up too fast. Every time 
Sherry and I see our grandkids. It's usually six months to a year in between trips, and we just can't believe how big they are and how grown up they are, and, and they're just growing up too fast. But grow up, they do. Uh, did you know that there was a syndrome? Now, they have a syndrome for everything. So if your kid's not behaving well, there's a syndrome for that. But there's a syndrome for everything. Did you know that there's an actual syndrome called the Peter Pan syndrome? And it's a failure to grow up, to settle down, and commit. That's how it's defined. The Peter Pan syndrome, other people call it Peter Pandemonium, a failure to grow up, settle down, and commit. You know, I mean, you can all imagine in your mind, maybe you have one of these in your home, or maybe you know of one. You know, a kid, many times it's a boy, uh, 20-something, 30-something, sitting around the house, playing video games, eating dry cereal, and smoking pot, you know. That's kind of the picture of this kid that just won't grow up. But there's something wrong when we don't grow up. And God has called us to do what Peter Pan didn't do, but what Jesus did do, and that is to, and that's what we're going to look at today, to grow up to settle down and to commit. Let's look at those three areas of Jesus' life. The first thing is this. He grew up. Luke, Luke 2.52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, at age 12, Jesus' uh, parents, uh, Joseph and Mary, were in Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Now, most of the people in Nazareth that lived there that were Orthodox Jews, that were even casual Jews, they would all travel to Jerusalem, about a three days journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And they would celebrate the feast over the weekend. And they'd go back to their jobs uh, after that. So that's what Jesus' family did. Now, by this time, 12 years old, he has some brothers and sisters. Joseph and Mary have had some other children. And he has brothers and sisters, plus they have extended family, cousin, maybe Elizabeth was in the mix, and their kids, and John the Baptist was a little squirt, and you know, so all these people were together, and they'd travel together in wagons, and kind of keep together in clans, and, and it was kind of a fun, a festive thing. So maybe there have been two or three, four wagons that had Mary and Joseph's extended family, cousins, and a lot of kids and a lot of people. So they go there, and then they get ready to come, go back to Nazareth. So they leave. A day later... They discover that Jesus isn't with them. Now, as a parent, you're going, that's really weird. How do, you, how do you wait a day before you discover that your kid's not around, right? Well, give them a little break. I mean, these people traveled in clans, right? So if Jesus isn't around, he's probably with a cousin, you know? He's probably over there with Uncle, you know, Aunt Elizabeth, or he's doing something, and they're all together. And, and so, but a, a, day, a, a full day later, they discover that he's just not with them. And so they turn around. So left the boy back in Jerusalem. So they turn around and head back. So that's another full day. It reminds me of uh, years ago when Sherry and I lived in Lakewood, Colorado. Sherry's mom and dad and her sister, Canna, and her family, three kids about the same age as our kids, came and visited us for Thanksgiving. Well, after they were ready to go back, they drove in a, in a van, in a big one of those um, extended vans back that you saw back in the 80s a lot. And so they left, and we said goodbye to them the Friday after Thanksgiving, and they took off. The weather was supposed to be suspect, so they wanted to kind of get ahead of the weather. And, and so they go of maybe 100 miles. They stop at a rest stop. All the kids pile out, go to the bathroom, get a snack, get back in the van. They take off. Well, about an hour after they take off, uh, Kenna, Sherry's sister, is, is starting to talk to the kids and see if they want a snack. Do you want a snack? Do you want a snack? Do you want a snack? Jeff, do you want a snack? Jeff, do you want a snack? No, Jeff. They left him back at the rest stop. Now, this is before 
cell phones, right? In fact, my father-in-law sent, you know, on a CB, that's the way we used to travel. Those of you that are young, you just don't know how much fun we had in those days. So, yeah, if there's a trucker heading back north to this town, you know, at a rest stop at so-and-so, we'd tell them there's a little boy there. Hopefully somebody's, say, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So they're booking it back there an hour later, and they come up, and here's this wonderful retired couple in a van, and Jeff's inside the van, still kind of crying, but he's got cookies stuffed in his mouth, and, and, the, and the, this nice couple are saying, honey, I'm sure, and they're saying, I hope, I'm sure your mom and dad's going to come back and get you, but, but it was very traumatic, so just think how Mary and Joseph felt when they were heading back to Jerusalem. What happened? The kid's 12 years old. He can't live on his own. What's going on? So they go back there, and then the Bible says they search for another full day, travel a day away, a day back, and then another full day, they're searching, and they finally find Jesus in the temple. And this is what Jesus said. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And you, you got you to gotta know what, they were, what Joseph was thinking. Well, I had to backhand you. Don't be sassy with me. You know, you know how a 12-year-old could be. Don't you know that I must be in my father's house? For, for Jesus, even at 12 years old, he knew that he was going to grow up. Now, he had had the Spirit of God in him from the day he was born, from the moment he was conceived. The Holy Spirit conceived him. So he had this God thing, but he's also living a normal, real kid life. And yeah, he knew that something was there and that the Spirit was there and God had something wonderful for him to do, but he didn't know what it was at 12 years old. So he figures, okay, where am I going to find out what God's purpose for my life is, you know? He said, I can't go to, you know, Saddleback and read The Purpose of Driven Life, so I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to the temple, and maybe some of the rabbis there, some of the wise people will know what my purpose And so he goes there, and they find him in there, and this 12-year-old kid's teaching the rabbis. And he's opening up scripture to them, Isaiah chapter 7. And he's reading about all these things. And, and it's just amazing. And everybody's enthralled and they're amazed. And Mary and Joseph come in and say, okay, young man, you've done us wrong. And, you know, so come on, you're, you're in trouble and let's go back. And, and Jesus said, but, but, but mom, dad, this is about me finding my place in God. Finding out my purpose, my calling in life. What am I supposed to do? Wouldn't it be wonderful if your 12-year-old would start asking those kind of questions? I mean, we can't even get our 25-year-olds to ask those kind of questions. God, what do you want me to do? What do you have for my life? What's my purpose? And part of, for Jesus, part of growing up was figuring out what his purpose in life was, what God had placed on him, the stamp that God had put on his life. And Peter Pan was just the opposite. He didn't want to grow up. He didn't want a purpose for his life. He just wanted to have fun. He just wanted to play. It reminds me of probably um, the two most popular television shows of the 1980s and the 1990s. 1980s was what? Seinfeld, okay? 1990s, Friends, okay? And what's interesting is both of those shows, and you can even go back another generation to the 70s and do, and do uh, what was the one in the bar Cheers, yeah. Uh, and and what, what, what all of these shows have in common is that they have these professional adolescents, <laughs> especially Seinfeld and Friends. These professional... Now, by the end of those shows, these people are all in their 40s, right? But they're all behaving like high school kids. And they're, they're figuring out how to have these spectacular, ecstatic, sexual inter, inter, encounters. And they're trying to figure out uh, where to eat and have all these silly things that they're involved in. And they're sitting around eating 
dry cereal and watching tons of TV and video games and all. They just refuse to grow up. When we look at the life of Jesus, we recognize the importance of growing up, of figuring out what God has for our lives. I, I think all of us know we've been talking for these uh, last weeks when we studied uh, 2 Corinthians. We've been talking about one of the subtexts throughout the whole series was God has a purpose for your life. And that purpose is that you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That you are a highly gifted, highly ordained, high-ranking, official, dignitary in heaven, blessed by God, sent from God to the earth with the good news of God's reconciling love through Jesus Christ to send that and give that to the world. We have this purpose. We have this this. this dream that God has put in every believer that it's our job to be light and salt in the world. It's our job to influence people, to see God's love and to influence them toward the cross. It's our job to do whatever we do. Now, we, we get caught up in living in this world, and I know the world's fun sometimes, and especially the holidays. And So it's the little kingdom, and it's great, and there's cookies, and there's eggnog, and there's kids, and it's awesome. But we sometimes forget that the purpose that we have for living is not all of those things. It's that we will be an ambassador for Jesus Christ in our world. When we grow up, spiritually grow up, we start recognizing that. We start pressing into that. We start asking those kind of questions. God, what do you want me to do in my life? How do you want me to live? How do you want me, what kind of father do you want me to be? What kind of husband do you want me to be? What kind of worker do you want me to be? What kind of friend, what kind of churchman do you want me to be? God, what does it mean for me to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ? We are called, sometimes people think they're in this kind of spiritual neverland. You know what I mean? You know, you, you pray the prayer when you're a kid. You know, Pastor Barb does a wonderful job of not only praying with the children to receive Christ, but helping them understand what it means to grow in their faith. She's helping you as parents to, to, to do a great job of discipling your kids. Um, one, uh, I forget who it was, but one uh, a book said that the most important thing we can do is disciple our children. One generation to the next, right? Disciple our children. Point our children towards Jesus Christ. But sometimes there's this Peter pandemonium among Christians. I said the prayer, you know, I, I, got, I got my ticket to heaven, good to go, so now I'll just kind of live the way I want to live and God will cover up all the bad stuff. That's no way to live. I mean, God wants us to grow up. He wants you to grow up in your faith. He wants you to become mature in your faith. He wants you to learn what it means to, to love Him, to serve Him. He wants you to understand the spiritual disciplines of what the Scripture has to say to you, how prayer impacts you, how service impacts you. He wants you to grow up in your faith. We have to stop behaving like children spiritually. I had a friend that I played football with in high school, Steve Hunnamer. And I invited him, his family lived uh, near where we lived, I invited him to come to church with us, and he did, and within a couple of weeks, a youth group, uh, influenced by youth group, and in those days, you know, they had a, you know, three altar calls every service, Sunday, Sunday night and Wednesday. So there's plenty of opportunities to give your heart to Christ, right? And so, in one of the services, Stephen went forward and he gave his heart to Christ. He prayed to receive Jesus, and that was beautiful. And it was wonderful. And so I tried to help him, encourage him. But after high school, he drifted away and just kind of got lost. And I only saw him a couple times after high school. But, but the problem is, Steve never grew up. Uh, he said, well, I, I, I prayed the prayer. And, um, you know, 
look what the Bible says. It says, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to heaven. So he's got all his ducks in a row, but then he just lived basically, and pardon my French, he lived like hell the rest of the time. He was out there doing anything he wanted. There was never any sense, like Peter Pan, never any sense of responsibility, never any sense of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a grown-up in Christ? When we see the life of Jesus, it tells us that we need to grow up, grow up spiritually, to find our place, to find how God can love us and how He can help us to become fully matured disciples of Christ and to make a difference in the world. Jesus grew up and Jesus discovered His purpose. His purpose was to be the Redeemer, the Savior of the world. And he knew that even, I don't know how early he knew that, but he certainly knew that when he became, um, uh, when he was doing his ministry. In Luke 19.10, we read these words. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. He knew, especially we know that when he was baptized by John the Baptist, he knew that they were there to seek and to save those who were lost. Do you know your purpose for living? Do you know how you have been called to become a child of God, and to become an ambassador of Jesus Christ. So I've, um, we're doing something new in our church. It's kind of starting out on the grassroots level. Brandon is teaching a huddle. I'm teaching a huddle. And what I have is I have six young men who have agreed, uh, a high level of accountability, high level of invitation, who have agreed to join me in becoming more fully devoted followers of Christ. It's a discipleship class. And it's not for the faint of heart. We're asking them to dig into the Word, dig into Jesus, dig into understanding what it means to be a father, a husband, uh, all of those things. And it's intense and it's wonderful. But I'm so proud of these six young men because these are young men who are saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to grow up in Christ. I'm already a fully developed man. I'm going to grow up in Christ. I'm going to understand more and more what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to grow up. I love that. And I love that about many of you who've decided that you are going to grow up in your faith. So that's the first thing we see in Jesus' life, that he called us to grow up, and then he called us to settle down. Now, that may sound weird. It sounds like, well, you're going to grow up, settle down. Usually that means you get married and start having kids. And if you read the Da Vinci Code a few years ago, the implication was that Jesus married Magdalene, Mary Magdalene and had kids. Well, that's ridiculous, and there's absolutely nothing to that. But the fact is, Jesus did have a family. And he did settle down, and he did involve his life and his ministry with his family. Here was Jesus' family. This is what he said. My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and obey it. See, remember that time we talked about this a few weeks ago, the time that Jesus uh, was uh, preaching and his uh, family was over to the side and somebody, one of the disciples came and said, hey, Jesus, your family's out there and they're ready to, uh, you know, go home and have turkey or whatever. You know, they're waiting for you over there. And Jesus looked around the crowd and this is what he said. He said that verse, but my mother, I love them and their blood, you know, their blood to me and I love them, but my brother and brothers and my sisters and my mother are those who who hear the word of God and obey it. That's you. We're family. Sometimes we have to learn that growing up in our faith means that we settle down into a ministry, into a church. We settle down and we find our place. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't like to go to church? 
Now, it's like saying, I like Jesus' body, but I don't like his head. You know, you just, it doesn't work that way. You know, it just doesn't work that way. So we have to settle down. Now, a lot of people are still constantly, they're kind of consumers. They're constantly looking for church, the right fit, the perfect church. You're never going to find the perfect church. Probably never going to find the right fit if you're a consumer. And, but they're always looking, okay, what's, right, what's me? Is this for me? Is that for me? But you know what? I believe something different. I believe that we should look at a church this way. Does this church share my vision for the gospel? Does this church, and you could say that about hope, does, is hope, does the vision of hope, which is to reach one more person for Jesus, constantly looking for ways to do that, does the vision, is that what God has placed in my heart as a vision? If not, there's many other churches close by you can discover. But is that vision fit me? And when you figure out that that fits, then you settle down. You get involved. Next Sunday, we're taking in new members. And these people are saying, we're involved. We're settling down. This is our home. We're going to do ministry here. We're going to serve here. We're going to be one of those 40 to 50 to 60 people on a Sunday morning that are doing something in the building so that you can come in here and worship for 75 minutes. So, so everybody has a... And that's what, we're, that's what it means to settle down. I wonder if all of you have really figured that out. To grow up in your faith and to settle down and to start using the gifts God has given you to, to do ministry. It's not about just attending or, or being. It's about serving. It's about using the gifts God has called you to. He said, my family are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Those who hear the word of God and obey it. So we are called to grow up, unlike Peter Pan, settle down, unlike Peter Pan. And the third thing that Peter Pan didn't do that Jesus did very well is he committed. He committed. Did you know that if you were the only person on the face of the earth, Jesus still would have gone to the cross to die for your sins. He's that committed to you. He has that kind of love and devotion to you. Everything Jesus did on this planet when he was here for those three years, and even in his crucifixion, everything he did was to somehow redeem the world. And the world was people. To somehow redeem people, to somehow find a way to bring them back to God. Because our sin has broken this connection between us and God. So our sin is always like this ceiling over us. We can't feel no God. But Jesus said, I have come that you'll have life and have it abundantly. And I've broken that, that ceiling. And I've connected you with God through my blood that I shed on the cross for your sins. Jesus said, I did that for you. That's how committed I am to you. That's how much I love you. That's how much my heart is for you. Jesus died for our sins. Luke 23, 46 says, Jesus called out, this is when he was dying on the cross, called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus grew up. He settled down. And he committed. I think for most of you here this morning, um, you certainly understand the implications for your personal life in a message from like this, taken right from the end of the Christmas story. You understand your need to grow up in your faith, and I think we all do, pretty much. And many of you say, yeah, and I need to settle down. I need to figure out where my place of ministry is at Hope or at another church, and I need to settle it, and I need to start serving and doing that. And, and I need to commit. I need to just to, to do it. You know, we're always blessed. Brandon and I are always blessed when we plan like a, a be the church day, a work day or something like that. How many people come out and they want to serve? And, and that's because you're saying, you know what? I'm committing. I'm stepping out. I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm getting out of the boat. I'm, I'm going to do that work. 
But there may be some of you here this morning, because every Sunday we have people that are visitors or people that come quite often, but they're still not sure if they want to buy into this whole Jesus thing. Some of you may be here this morning and saying, you know what? Maybe it's time for me to commit. Maybe it's time for me to step over the threshold. You know, I, I, there's been a time when I said yes to Jesus, but I'm not too sure about it. I've, I'm certainly not. And I wonder about this committing thing, but, but I just don't know if this is the time for me. Well, let me tell you what it means biblically to commit. The Bible says that we are to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. Very simple verse. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, to be saved means literally to be set free, to be delivered from your sins, from the brokenness of your life, to experience the life of Jesus within you, and to experience everlasting life. So that's the part of being saved. But believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what does that mean? So the word believe comes from the Greek word. It's a word, it's, uh, you pronounce it pastuo, and there's different variations of that. But what that word means is that it's not about, well, I, I believe that... Um, you know, George Washington lived, that's kind of a mental ascent. The belief, the word pastel means to cling to, to rely on, to grasp hold of. So it's not a matter of just mental ascent. You know, I believe in our government, or I believe in, you know, math, or something like that. But it's, it's embracing that which you believe. The best way to describe that is to give you an example that happened 150 years ago. There was a, a world-famous acrobat by the name of Blondin. And uh, Blondin, uh, in 1862, decided that he was going to upgrade his shtick, and instead of going between two buildings in New York City on a tightrope, he was going to extend a rope or a cable from uh, uh, Niagara, New York, over to Canada. And so they did that, and they found the shortest distance, and it was a little over a mile, and they had to do that, and they extend that, and this cable was sturdy. In those days, they had no safety nets, no safety anything. If he falls, you know, you move on to the next acrobat. And so Blondin sets this whole thing up, and uh, he, he crosses from uh, Niagara over the falls to Canada. 20,000, 25,000 Canadians are over there cheering him on. 25,000 people in New York cheering him on. And, uh, and he crosses over, everybody's cheering, and then he comes back, and then he does a different, and that's with just a balancing rod, then he does it on a bicycle. So he, he crosses over on a bicycle, comes back, and the third thing he's going to do is he's going to put somebody on his shoulders. Okay, let's take a look at that. Okay, he's going to put, and, and, and here's what happened. So he gets over to the Canada side. He said, how many of you think I could carry somebody over my, on my shoulders across the Niagara Falls? And all the people said, yeah, we think you can because you're awesome and we've seen you do it. He said, oh, who'd like to volunteer? Well, the volunteer wasn't a volunteer. That's his manager and he paid him to do this. Okay, they didn't have a volunteer. That's pistuo. That's faith. Not, yeah, yeah, he can do it. I'm willing to get on his back. I'm willing to commit my life. I'm willing to commit every part of my being, trusting that he is the answer, that he is the solution. That's what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Would you bow your heads with me, please?